Tonight, God's Word comes to us from Genesis chapter 23. We are going to be reading all the verses of Genesis 23 and just a few verses from Genesis 25 as well. Genesis 23, beginning at verse 1. What we hear now is God's Word. Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And Abraham rose up from before his dead and said to the Hittites, I am a sojourner and foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place that I may bury my dead out of my sight. The Hittites answered Abraham, Hear us, my lord. You are a prince of God among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will withhold from you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. Abraham rose and bowed to the Hittites, the people of the land. He said to them, If you are willing that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me, And entreat for me Ephron, the son of Zohar, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns, is at the end of his field. For the full price, let him give it to me in your presence as property for a burying place. Now Ephron was sitting among the Hittites, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the Hittites, of all who went at the gate of his city. No, my lord, hear me. I give you the field... I give you the cave that is in it. In the sight of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your dead. Then Abraham bowed down before the people of the land. And he said to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, But if you will, hear me. I give the price of the field. Accept it from me that I may bury my dead there. Ephron answered Abraham, My Lord, listen to me. The piece of land, a piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between you and me? Bury your dead. Abraham listened to Ephron, and Abraham weighed out for Ephron the silver that he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver, according to the weights current among the merchants. So the field of Ephron in Machpelah, which is to the east of Mamre, the field with the cave that was in it and all the trees that were in the field throughout its whole area was made over to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the Hittites before all who went in at the gate of the city. After this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave on the field of Machpelah, east of Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. The field and the cave that is in it were made over to Abraham as property for a burying place by the Hittites. Now turn over to chapter 25. We're going to read just the first 11 verses there. 25 verse 1, Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. She bore him, and it lists a number of sons born to him there. Going down to verse 5, Abraham gave all he had to Isaac, but to the sons of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts, and while he was still living, he sent them away from his son Isaac, eastward to the east country. These are the days of the years of Abraham's life. 175 years. Abraham breathed his last 
and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave of Machpelah, in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar, the Hittite, east of Mamre, the field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with Sarah, his wife. After the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son, and Isaac settled at Ve'ir Lahai Ro'ai. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. Well, tonight we come to the end of uh, our series of sermons on the first half of the book of Genesis. By my count, we've had a little over two dozen sermons in this series. Uh, we started this back in September. So for about nine months, we've been looking together at this portion of God's Word. And tonight, as we draw this to a close, uh, we're going to recall together uh, the truth that we have talked about and how it still speaks to us today. We saw that Genesis is a book of beginnings. It describes for us the beginning of the world and the beginning of mankind. It describes for us the beginning of marriage and the family and the Sabbath and the state, all of these things given to us, ordained by God. We saw the structure of the book was an easy book to outline with really four main parts, each of about 12 chapters or so. Uh, those first 11 chapters dealing with creation and the nations. Then the last section we've been looking at, chapters 12 through 25, the Abraham cycle of the series. Going on from here, from 25 to 36, we would talk about Jacob, and then from 37 to the end, talking about Joseph. So you can kind of know where you're at uh, by the structure of the book of Genesis. It's a book about God's dealings with his people, and in particular, God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness to his word and his faithfulness to his promises. Tonight, we come to the end. The end of the life of Sarah and the end of the life of Abraham. And I've entitled tonight's sermon, uh, Abraham's Obituary. Chopin, an obituary is a little um, article that is written about you after you die. Uh, it's just some of the basic information of your life, and what was important to you is often included in your obituary. Tonight we're going to talk about Abraham's obituary. If we were to write Abraham's obituary, Based on our study of the last 12 chapters or so, what would we write? Or perhaps if we ask the question this way, if we could ask Abraham, what would you have us write in your obituary? Well, I think we've seen by now, if Abraham were to answer that question, what would you like in your obituary? What would you like to say about you? I'm sure Abraham would say, don't write so much about me but write about my God. The God who has walked with me, the God who has been faithful to me. My life is a story of God's work and what he has done for me. Tonight we look at what could be Abraham's obituary. So we talk about Abraham's God and the promises Abraham's God made to him. God had promised Abraham a son. He had promised him a son even when it got to the point that Abraham and his wife were past childbearing years. They would wait, and they would wait, 
and they would wait, but it just seemed like no sun was ever coming. And although they would need to be patient, God would remain faithful. And there would be a child who would come forth. That word of a son being born seemed incredible to them, seemed marvelous to them. But we had that sermon, is there anything too hard for God? Nothing is beyond what God can do. Nothing is beyond his power. And in the end, God brought laughter. Laughter of joy, laughter of delight for Abraham and for Sarah. Oh, they had to wait for the fulfillment. But God was faithful and brought laughter to them. We could speak of God's promises to Abraham uh, because they speak, when we think about Abraham and the promise of a son, speaks of another son who would come. It points beyond Abraham to another seed of the woman, another promised child, unlikely, but that God would send and be faithful to his word. A promise made all the way back in the beginning of Genesis, back in the Garden of Eden. After the man and his wife fall into sin, God comes with his word. God comes with his promise. There will be one who will crush the head of the serpent. And although they would, we would have to wait for years and years and years, God would be faithful. He would send his son, Jesus Christ, fully fulfilling his promise, fully fulfilling his word, and crushing the head of the serpent. Isaac was but one example of a miracle child pointing forward to the work of Christ. We saw in our study of Genesis the, um, the table of the nations, those genealogies, so-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so. And we talked about how we often have a tendency to skip this part of the Bible. I remember growing up, we would read the Bible around the table, and uh, uh, we'd get to these tables of nations, and sometimes Dad would say, well, let's just go on to the next part of the story. We would skip those readings. But there's value, even though the names are difficult, there's value in reading about all those nations because it reminds us that God is a God of generational faithfulness. He is faithful to this one and to his son and to his son and to his son. The genealogies remind us that God was faithful to bring his son into the world at the appointed time. It's no, it's no accident that the New Testament begins with a genealogy. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. We read there, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. The genealogies point forward to Jesus Christ who would come and God's generational faithfulness. And I find it so interesting that after Jesus Christ comes, after this genealogy, there are no more genealogies in the Bible. We don't have genealogies after Christ in the New Testament. The genealogy of Paul genealogy of the disciples, they pointed forward to Jesus Christ, God's faithfulness to his promise. And once that promise is fulfilled, no more genealogies left for us to read. It's important for us to, to know the truth of the Old Testament because it does point us forward to the truth in the New Testament. There is a, a richness, there's a depth in the New Testament we miss 
if we skip the Old Testament. It'd be sort of like saying, you know, if I was going to teach the history of the United States, I want to teach the history of our country, and I'm going to start teaching our history in uh, 1930. Let's just start there. And you say, well, you, you can't understand 1930 without knowing 1929, the Great Depression. And you can't understand that without knowing the Industrial Revolution and without knowing the wars that took place. You can't understand the U.S. without understanding England. We have to go back to the beginnings. That's what the Old Testament does for us. It gives us a richness. It gives us a depth. As we go back and we see these pictures, pictures we have looked at together of the promises of God fulfilled in Abraham's life in this promised child, but pointing forward to a greater promise to Jesus Christ. Abraham's God was a God who was faithful. I'm sure Abraham would say, talk about my God. Don't talk about me. Talk about my God, a God who continues to be faithful to us today. Perhaps in writings Abraham's obituary, we would be tempted to talk about Abraham's faith. Because Abraham is the father of all believers. He is the father of the faithful. We remember that Abraham's faith was a response to what God had done. We have seen how often that Abraham would be unfaithful. Because Abraham, before God called him, simply fell in the line of all mankind, those who were the nations. Think back to Genesis chapter 4, and, uh, and Cain and Abel, Cain killing his brother Abel. And then we heard about Cain's descendants, and we come to Lamech, one who is arrogant, one who is boastful. If Cain is, 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 is revenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. And the arrogance of man increases the nations. We saw even in Noah this description of mankind. They are only evil all the time. This is who man is. And even Noah, this man of faith, we saw his sin, his sin of drunkenness. Genesis is a history of man's unfaithfulness. We saw, we saw in Genesis 10 and 11, uh, Nimrod, a mighty warrior against the Lord the Tower of Babel, the arrogance to assault heaven, the growth of wickedness and disobedience in the nations. Abraham was in those nations. Abraham would say, don't talk about my faith. Talk about the faithfulness of God who came to me. God sought him out. God called him. And as a response, Abraham would be obedient. God would come to him in Genesis chapter 12 and take him from Ur to Haran. God would walk with him in that journey to a land God would show him. God would take him into that covenant ceremony from Genesis 15 with those bloody animals and that pathway in between. And even then, God would say, Abraham, you don't have to walk through. I'll go through. I will keep both halves of the covenant. I'll do my part and your part. Showing us Jesus Christ who takes our place whose righteousness we are given because he fulfilled all righteousness for us. Abraham would say, don't talk about my faith. God had made me a promise of, of a son to come and, and I was too impatient and I looked, I looked to Egypt. I looked to Hagar. Remember the children? Help from Hagar. Looking to the ways of the world 
to find the answers to our difficulties, the answers to our problems. Abraham and his encounter with Abimelech would would tell that half-truth about his wife, his sister, Sarah. No, Abraham would say, "Don't, don't, don't talk about my faith. My faith is simply a response to what God has done for me. He has called me. He has made me his own. And we saw that only after Abraham had walked with God for some 25 years was he able to respond in faithfulness when God calls him to go and offer up his son. Abraham, the man of faith, the father of the faithful, his faith, simply a response to what God had done for him. And the same is true for us. I hope in our obituary we would say, don't don't talk about my faith. Talk about the faithfulness of my God. The God who made promises. Promises to me. Promises to everyone who believes. To everyone who embraces Jesus Christ. That as we put our trust in Him, God will forgive our sins. He will be faithful to His word. That's the truth we embrace once again tonight. That's the call that is made tonight. If you are not now walking with the Lord, God calls you. He is faithful. His word is true. And if you put your faith and hope and trust in him alone, he will forgive you of all of your sins. He will wash you and cleanse you and make you a part of his family. God is a faithful God. Even when we so often act unfaithfully, God gives us that gift of faith, that instrument by which we might embrace Christ, a faith that receives, a faith that embraces. Not not the power of my faith, not the obedience of my faith, but the gift God has given to me that I might put my faith in Him, a response to what God has done. Thinking about Abraham's obituary, obituary, we talk about Abraham's God, we talk about the faithfulness of his God even when Abraham was unfaithful. And in our story tonight, we have this, this picture of the hope of Abraham. We have, in the beginning of our story, chapter 23, Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. Sarah died at Kiriath Arba in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And Abraham rose up from before his dead and spoke to the Hittites. Sarah dies in Canaan. And Abraham prepares to bury her. Where are you going to be buried? Now maybe if you've grown up in Chino, in Ontario, You say, well, of course, I'll be buried here somewhere. But think about about those who serve in the military. We had a family uh, next door to us in Phoenix that served in the military, and every three years, they move someplace else. Well, if you die during that process, where are you going to be buried? Uh, Maybe uh, to a lesser extent, I suppose, um, you think about a minister. I I grew up in Washington State. Our family spent 14 years in Arizona. We spent eight and a half years in Iowa. Now we live in California. Where am I going to be buried? That's, That's what Abraham's facing. Where will he bury his wife? And if we think about that question, most often we give the answer, I I will be buried 
where I think my family might end up. That they might, if they wanted to, visit the grave or whatever, but we, we tend to be buried where we think we're going to end up. Abraham does not take Sarah back to Ur of the Chaldees. Abraham doesn't go back to his homeland where he came from. Abraham wants to bury Sarah in Canaan, in the land God had promised to him. Even though he was told it will take hundreds of years for your family to come back, Abraham's hope was in the faithfulness of his God. And he will believe that promise and bury Sarah in Canaan. And so we have this transaction recorded for us in Genesis 23 as Abraham barters for the land. And while the Hittites might seem to be gracious here, there's actually more going on in the story. Abraham goes to the Hittites, verse 4. I am a sojourner and a foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place that I may bury my dead out of my sight. Abraham intends to buy a plot of land where he can bury Sarah. A piece of land that will belong to him as, as a token that he trusts God will bring his family back. He's going to bury Sarah here because this is where God said your family is going to end up. Well, how do the Hittites respond? Verse 5. The Hittites answered Abraham, Hear us, my Lord, you are a prince of God among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will withhold from you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. Now that sounds like a very gracious response, but what they're saying is, you may bury your dead in one of our tombs. Abraham wanted to buy the land. They said, no, 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 we will let you use it. We will retain the property. We will let you use any one of our tombs that you want. Which is why Abraham goes on. Verse, verse 7. Abraham rose and bowed to the Hittites, the people of the land. He said to them, If you are willing that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me, entreat for me Ephron, son of Zohar, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns at the end of his field, for the full price let him give it to me in your presence as property for a burying place. Abraham says, no, I don't want land simply to use. I want to put a stake down here. I want to own this land as, as a declaration, I believe the word of God. And he will bring his people back here. So he wants to own the land. Once again, we have a Hittite responding. Now Ephron speaks in verse 10. Ephron was sitting among the Hittites, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the Hittites and all who were at the gate, No, my lord, hear me. I give you the field, I give you the cave that is in it. In other words, you can use it. In the sight of the sons of my people, I give it to you, bury your dead. He still will not let Abraham buy the piece of land. But Abraham is adamant. He wants to declare his trust in God, his hope for the future. I need to own this land. So the story goes on. Abraham bowed before the people in the, in, in, in the land. He says to Ephron, hearing the people, if you will hear me, I give the price of the field. I want to buy this. 
accept it from me that I may bury my dead there. Abraham says, no, it's important. I need to buy this piece of land. And now Ephron, very shrewd businessman, they've all heard what Abraham says, I want to buy this land no matter what. Ephron says, my Lord, listen to me. A piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between you and me? By the best estimates that we can make, Ephron is asking a huge price for the piece of land. It would be something like a, maybe you wanted to buy a house in Ontario, in Chino. The house is worth a half a million dollars. And you really want this house, and you really want to buy it, and you say to the person, look, I, I really want this house. And they say, you want this house? No problem. What's, uh, what's $8 million between the two of us? Go ahead, you can have the house. That's what's going on. Abraham has said, I want this piece of land. I want to own it so I can bury my dead. And Ephron says, you want it? You're going to pay for it. 400 shekels of silver. A huge price. But Abraham believes, believes the word of the Lord. This is where my family will end up. Buying this land, burying Sarah here is a token of his hope, of his trust in the promise of God. That he will bring his people back. It might be hundreds of years, but he will bring his people back. We have a hope as well. A hope, not that, uh, that we'll have a certain piece of, uh, of field in the land of Canaan. We, as God's children, have the assurance, have the hope. We will spend our eternity in the new heavens and the new earth. And, 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 and now, because of that hope we have, God calls us to, to set a stake in that land as Abraham would stake out a claim in the land God had promised to him, we too are called to set a stake in the promised land. Well, what does that look like? We don't, we don't buy a piece of property. God calls us in our lives to live now the way we will live in glory. In glory, we will serve Him. In glory, we will adore Him. We will worship Him. Our focus will be upon Him. And we, we have a stake in that. When right now we begin to live in a way that brings that glory to God because He has called us. He has redeemed us. He saved us in Christ and His Spirit dwells in us. We know. We are assured. We have the same hope. The hope of glory and eternity with Him. God says, right now, you can have a stake in that life. Right now, you can begin to live in a way that brings me that glory, a glory you will know in its fullness in the time, in the years to come when God's promise is seen in fruition, a stake in heaven itself. God, God comes to Abraham. God distinguishes Abraham from the nations. And we see that even with Abraham. We read in chapter 25, Abraham had other children. I skipped the names of those children there. He had other children. But 25 verse 5, Abraham 
gave all he had to Isaac. Oh, he gave gifts to the other sons he had, but he sent them away from Isaac. Abraham gave his gifts to Isaac, to the covenant line, to the promised son. For them, it was that physical line. For us, it is that spiritual line that brings us to Jesus Christ. We find ourselves in him. There's a distinction being made between those who are found in Christ and those who are not. Those who are in Christ know the glory of salvation, what he has done for us. And, and we begin to want to make that stake, that stake in the future. The, the nations don't care. The world does not know. They are sent away from God. But For those who know God by faith in Jesus Christ, he calls us to live in that way that, that anticipates the wonders of heaven. As we close our time in the book of Genesis, as we close our look at the life of Abraham, how do we write his obituary? Abraham the man of faith? Abraham the faithful? No. Abraham who had a faithful God. A God faithful to him, a God who walked with him, a God who forgave him. And we have that same hope. We have that same assurance, that same God who has made promises to us, who has fulfilled those promises in his son, Jesus Christ, and who continues to call us to live for him. What will your obituary say? Will it talk about what you have done, the great things you have accomplished, or will we say, no, talk about my God, talk about his faithfulness, talk about his promises of the assurance of an eternity with him in glory. Oh, may that be our obituary as well. Let's join together in prayer. Lord God, we thank you for this portion of your word, this portion of Genesis, given to us to instruct us, to teach us about the people in the past, about your ways with those people, but beyond that, O oh God, to, to show us your glory, your majesty, and your faithfulness, that you are always faithful to your word, you were faithful to bring your son, Jesus Christ. He was pictured, he was shadowed so many times in the Old Testament. But you brought that word to fullness in sending your son. Lord God, thank you. Thank you that we have assurance in this life that because of his work, we belong to you. Thank you for the assurance and the hope that we have for the life to come. That not only for this life are you ours, but we will spend an eternity glorifying you and praising you. May that truth, O oh God, encourage us. Encourage us to stake our claim even now, to live in a way that shows you our thankfulness for your glorious gift of grace. Hear our prayer, O oh God, for Jesus' sake. Amen.